Hello, Gateway. My name is George Gahungu. I'll be reading Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1 to 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exile and to the priest, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after the king Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elazar, son of Shephan, and to Gemaria, son of Hil- Hil- Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the, all, the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, say to all those I carry into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant garden and eat what they produce. Marry to, the, to have son and daughter. Find wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have son and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace of prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prosper, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, say. Do not let the prophet and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreamers you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declared the Lord. This is what the Lord say. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plan I have in for, I have for you, declared the Lord. Plan for prosper you and not harm you. Plan to give you hope and in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. I will, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declared the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nation and places where I have been banished you, declared the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carry you into exile. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Gateway Online and to a brand new series of conversations. More about that at the end. Okay, if you and I had been alive in 586 BC, then we would have just known. It would have been obvious to us because we're pretty culturally savvy. It would have been obvious to us that The Neo-Babylonian Empire was the place to be. It was the preeminent empire in the world, arguably in the history of the world up to that point. It was a military and economic juggernaut that was unrivaled, unrivaled. In fact, it was the world's only standing superpower in 586 BC. So its power and influence were spreading rapidly, virtually unchecked across the entire known world. And Babylon, The capital was definitely the place to be. I mean, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. In 586 BC, Babylon was a happening cultural scene. No, no, it was the happening cultural scene. It was the center of the world in entertainment, education, and architecture. 
I mean, in, in and around 587 BC, the Babylonian ruler, King Nebuchadnezzar, engaged in a series of construction projects that were unmatched in ancient history, except for maybe the pyramids. Just one of those projects was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In 586 BC, Babylon was the place to be for the culturally savvy, if you wanted to be at the center of things. But not in God's mind. The center of activity in God's mind was a little spit of land bordering the Mediterranean, north and east of Egypt and, and south and west of Babylon. It was the land formerly known as Israel, but by 586 BC, it was only part of what it had once been, and it was called Judah. It was the land of the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Its capital was Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a fairly well-known prize in the ancient world. It, it was a very well-positioned city, at least in terms of defending itself, and, and it was fairly well-fortified. But its natural and man-made protections were no match for Babylonian might. So in 586 BC, the Babylonians besieged Jerusalem, overran and ultimately decimated it and the surrounding countryside, effectively ending the history of Judah. Well, let's grab hold of that for a minute. This was the center of God's activity in God's mind, and Babylon decimated it. All right, we'll get back to that. Then Babylon did to that local population exactly what they did to their conquered populations throughout the world. They transplanted them. They moved them lock, stock, and barrel. They forced them to leave their homeland, and they resituated them somewhere near Babylon. I think this was a strategic way of tamping down the possibility of insurrection. Whatever the reason, it had the effect of eviscerating the conquered cultures. I mean, Judah was dead. Now let's back up a little. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, the one George read for us this morning, he predicted all this was going to happen. And pretty much unanimously, the voices around him said, You're nuts, Jeremiah. Can anybody shut this guy up? They gave him a nickname. You can find it in Jeremiah 20. They called him Magor Mizabib. It literally means terror on every side. Oh, there goes old Magor Mizabib. What terror have you got to tell us about today, Jeremiah? And they tried to shut him up in various ways. The court counselors, other prophets, the rank and file of Jerusalem. Nobody wanted to hear what Jeremiah was saying. Pay attention, people. Trouble is coming. Babylon is going to overtake us. We've got to repent. We've got to seek God. We need his help. Nobody listened. His books didn't sell, I mean, at all. His speaking engagements were empty houses. He was persona non grata wherever he went. And, and he, he wanted to be wrong. That's the thing. He didn't want this message at all. Here's what he said. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He didn't want this message and he wanted to be wrong about what he said, but he couldn't refrain himself. The message demanded to be spoken. And here's the thing. History, actual events, they have a funny way of revealing the truth from the lie, don't they? And all those voices who were saying, oh, everything's going to be fine. God really cares about this place. We're special to him. Don't listen to old Magor Mizabib. Those voices turned out to be false. All false, except Jeremiah. In 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, exactly as Jeremiah had predicted, 
He led the awful Babylonian army to the doorstep of Jerusalem where they slammed into the city like a tsunami. No stone left on top of another. And the voices of Jerusalem found themselves either running away to Egypt to hide or being forcefully migrated to Babylon and relocated. And then this same prophet, Jeremiah, wrote a pastoral letter to these same people who are now living in exile in Babylon. And George read that letter for us this morning. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's the way he began. And in this letter, God gave them four profound directives about how to conduct themselves during this period of their lives. And I believe these four directives speak directly to us today, as if Jeremiah had addressed this letter with our names on it. To me, this letter speaks exactly to the situation we find ourselves in. Why? Well, I think it's fair to say that we are a people living in exile to an extent. First of all, Think of George Gahungu, who read this passage for us this morning. George and his wife, Sandra, have lived in the United States for, for the past nine years in exile, away from their home, away from their family. Many of you are in the same condition. You're in exile away from the Philippines or some part of Africa or India. Others of you, your heart is in Texas or California. And for some reason, you're stuck here in Northern Virginia. Now, I'm not trying to compare the depth of the exile there. Your exile may not be as severe as George's, but it's still a tug on your heart, perhaps a dramatic tug. You don't want to be here, but you are. And for all of us, we've spent the last seven months in a kind of exile. Our movements are limited. Our life feels odd and on hold. The circumstances of every part of our everyday is compromised. And and it's been forced on us. We didn't choose this. Well, God has a word for us, and old Megor Mizabib gives it to us. So four directives. First of all, he tells us to live fruitful lives where we are. Right where you are, live fruitful lives. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Increase and do not decrease right where you are. In fact, do this over multiple generations. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Don't sit around and wait for your circumstances to change. You don't need to change your circumstances. Seize the opportunities in front of you right where you are. I, I think of those of us who want to be somewhere else. The directive is clear. Live a fruitful life right where you are. Stop looking for a change in location. God has you here. And by the way, this might not be a short-term deal. I think of those of us who are getting older. This is not a throwaway season in our lives. God still has work for us to do. After all, we're still here. This is the time for us to live fruitful lives right where we are. I think of those of us who are suffering from chronic illness and pain. I personally don't have the courage and strength to run that race. But for those of you who have been given that assignment, live fruitful lives right where you are. This is not a time to give up. This is not a a holding pattern. Increase. Do not decrease. I heard someone speak about this recently who said, stop looking for a season. You're in one. 
This is where God has put us. Unless we forget, look at how God began this whole thing in verse 4. He said, the God of Israel says to those I carried into exile, to those I carried into exile. The circumstances we're in, this is God's doing. So how can I take advantage of these circumstances? What does he want me to do here? How can I live my best right now? How can I do my best work right here? Number one, live fruitful lives right where you are. Secondly, God says, be a spiritual blessing where you are. Be a spiritual blessing to the culture around you. Bless the culture around you right where you are. Verse 7 says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seek the peace and prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it. So those of you who are from Africa, bless the United States of America. Pray for her. See the best in her. Those of you who long for Ohio, bless Northern Virginia. Pray for it. Notice, notice God doesn't say love it. <laughs> that may be beyond your control, but he does say pray for it. And I think he knows that when we pray for something to be blessed, eventually we learn to love it. Wait, you want me to pray for and bless this city, God? This city is made up of the neighbors and brothers and friends of the people who ransacked my home. In fact, some of those very people are here too. You want me to seek their peace and prosperity? Yes, because if this city prospers, so will you because you're here, right here. This is where I have you. And so many times, I feel like we as Christians spend our time cursing the culture around us. We can't believe what they're saying or doing. Those liberals or those conservatives pick your side. And make no mistake, that sentiment comes with a curse. But God says, bless them. Pray for them. Pray that they will prosper. You want me to pray that the Babylonians will prosper? Yes, once again, because if they prosper, then you will prosper. Be a spiritual blessing where you are. You don't live in Dallas anymore. You don't have that bigger job in Tyson's. That relationship didn't happen. You're here now, so be a blessing here. Thirdly, God says, do not entertain false hopes about where you are. Do not entertain false hopes about where you are. Listen to verses 8 and 9. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. In other words, didn't you learn anything from what just happened? Do not entertain false hopes about where you are. Look, this desperate group of migrant Jews living in exile in Babylon still had false prophets in their ears nursing false expectations. They were telling them, hey, this is going to be a short deal. In a couple of years, God is certainly going to intervene. So just hold on and get ready to go back and reclaim our land. So Jeremiah writes to give them the truth. This is where God has you, and it ain't changing anytime soon. Do you remember when we all thought things would get back to normal right after spring break? The virus would pass and we'd, we'd get back to kids in school and back to normal life. I mean, one of the reasons this period has been so hard for me anyway is because of how uncertain it is. 
I remember, when I, I remember when I first started hearing people say, oh, this is going to last well into the summer, at least some kind of weirdness. And my internal response was usually something like, oh, stop it. Don't be so dramatic. And here we are, second weekend in October. Many of your kids are doing school via computer. You're having work meetings on Zoom. You're wearing a mask every time you go to the grocery store. This is where we are, and we cannot entertain false hopes about where we are. We can't lean into artificial solutions. Can I offer an example of one current artificial solution that's dominating our attention right now? Donald Trump cannot make America great again. That's above his pay grade. God raised up the Babylonians and he brought them down which he did, by the way, far sooner than anyone in Babylon or the rest of the world could have possibly imagined, sidebar, warning to America. In other words, God makes nations great and lowly for his purposes. And Joe Biden cannot restore the soul of America. My goodness, he doesn't have the resume. Mr. Biden doesn't have nail prints in his hands and feet and a gaping wound in his side. That's what it takes to genuinely restore a soul. And only Jesus Christ meets those qualifications. Let's not entertain false hopes about where we are. We are in exile, right where God put us. And there is no political solution. What we ultimately need it's not a vaccine or a change in administration or a better plan or a new location or the right relationship. We need God. And that brings us to directive number four. We must seek God right where we are. Let's review. We must live fruitful lives right where we are. We must be a spiritual blessing right where we are. We must not entertain false hopes about where we are. And fourth, we must seek God where we are. And when we seek him, we will find him. He's our hope. He's the only place where we can confidently place our expectations. We said earlier that, that God allowed Jerusalem to be decimated, and I said we'd get back to that. So let's talk about it. Uh, repeat, God allowed the place that was the center of his attention to be utterly destroyed. Why? And, and let's add some drama to that question. In the ancient world, Almost every nation, almost every city had its own god or gods. And often wars were seen as contest of the gods. The prevailing army, well, either they worshiped the real god or they clearly had the favor of the gods. So by allowing Jerusalem to be overrun, really prescribing it to happen, God was diminishing his own reputation, as well as jeopardizing the safety, even the survival of his chosen people. Why? It's been said that God is more interested in the holiness of his people than in his own reputation, and clearly that's the case. God's only concern is that we connect with him. He knows he is our life and our satisfaction. God knows nothing else will supply our deepest needs except our relationship with him. God knows that the key to our long-term good is our relationship with him, and he will stop at nothing in his efforts to secure that relationship, including allowing us to be overrun to get our attention. All right, verse 10 of this passage. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise 
to bring you back to this place. This is not going to be a couple of years. You're going to be here for the long haul. So live fruitful lives right here where you are and be a spiritual blessing right where you are. And don't entertain false hopes about where you are. Do not be fooled by false promises that tickle your ears. For I know the plans I have for you. God says, you don't know the plans. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. They're beyond you. You're like a child who's thrashing around thinking they want to play or eat candy when what they really need is a nap. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And then God speaks the ultimate word of hope and promise to us, doesn't he? And this one we can rely on. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And that's what we need. We need to find God. How do we continue to allow ourselves to be seduced by if only thinking? We have ample evidence that that thinking is fruitless, pointless and unproductive and still Deep down in our hearts and minds, it lingers, if only. Honestly, I believe our political hand-wringing is often nothing more than if-only thinking. Boy, everything hinges on this election, if, if only it goes our way. Does it? I know some of you completely disagree with me, but if you're old enough, you'll remember we said the same thing in 1996 and in 2000 and in 2004, etc., we're certainly saying it with more energy now, but does that make it any more true? And I'm only picking on politics because this is the season for politics, as I said. There are lots of if-only delusions on which we hang our false hopes. If only we could get back to normal life, then I'd feel okay. If only we could just move back to California, then everything would be great. If only I could get that job, then, then life would work. We don't usually think it exactly like that, but that's what's underneath our angst. If only. I love what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Our ultimate destination and our ultimate satisfaction is not of this world's making. It's not Burundi or Dallas. It's not that job in Charlotte. It's not a second term for President Trump or his ouster. None of our if-onlys will fully satisfy us. Our destination and our satisfaction are buried in God's plan for us. A good plan. A plan for hope and a future. And right now, this is where God has us. So live fruitful lives where you are and be a spiritual blessing where you are because this is God's doing. God has carried you to your current circumstances. Do not entertain false hopes about where you are, but seek God right where you are. That really is the only way forward for us. Okay, I, I want you to know that today's message is an introduction to a near, new series of lessons we're calling Not How You Imagined. And I'm, I'm really excited about these lessons. Let me give you a little more setup. So we talked today about the exile of the Jews and, and we compared our circumstances to the exile, I think legitimately so. Well, let me say a word about our future, if I may, reflecting on their future. Uh, you know, sure enough, after about 70 years, God did exactly what he said he would do. The Persians came in and conquered the Babylonians. Can you imagine? 
The Babylonians thought they would last forever. Much of the world saw, thought so, but they didn't. And the Persians weren't, when they conquered Babylon, they weren't interested in having large populations of disgruntled citizens living within their borders. So they released the Jews and others, by the way, to return to their homelands. The unimaginable happened. After decades, the Jews were able to return to, Jeru to the Jerusalem area with official sanction from the Persians to rebuild the city and the temple. And they returned with great excitement and fanfare, as you might imagine, and spiritual expectation. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah cover this part of the history for us. And there's actually a dramatic, moving covenant ceremony, covenant renewal ceremony in Nehemiah chapter 9. Basically, the returning Jews were affirming their faith and, and they acknowledged the greatness of God and, and how he did what he did and, and how, what he did as he always does, exactly what he said he would do. I mean, it, it's all very thrilling, really. And within two generations, they found themselves largely in exactly the same place as they had been, spiritually and emotionally. They found themselves in a different kind of exile, if you will. They had grand ideas about what God was about to do, what their lives would look like, and it just didn't pan out, not the way they thought. So there was massive financial insecurity and deep personal disappointment and religious skepticism. Sound familiar? And into that space, Malachi the prophet brought a word from God. And I believe Malachi has a word for us too. So over the next six weeks, we're going to walk our way through the book of Malachi. I want to add one other really important piece to this. We're also going to offer a four-week devotional guide to accompany our time in Malachi, a four-week devotional guide. Please join us in doing this devotional. Here's how it will work. Each day, there will be a 15 to 20-minute guided study in the morning. Preferably, we'll do that first thing before we start our day. We'll be taking a, a deeper dive into understanding Malachi and what he has to say to us. And, and this is the perfect format for those of you who want to know more about the Bible, by the way. Then for all of you who sign up, we'll, we'll send you a short text in the middle of the day. These will be designed to help create micro moments of reflection and devotion. And then there's a short five to ten minute reflection for each night, ideally right before you go to bed. You, you're going to get, we're all going to get a, a PDF of the morning and evening devotions by email, and you can decide if you want to jump in or not, but you'll have to sign up for the texts if you want to participate fully. I think this is going to be great for each of us and for all of us together. Remember, our theme for this year is every day in every house, and, and this will help us move in that direction. So sign up by going to mygateway.life, and please join us in this. I think it's going to be awesome. The devotional will begin next Monday, a week from tomorrow, the 19th. So sign up, mygateway.life. Now, God carried the Jews forcefully into exile, just like he warned. And then he brought them back into their land, just like he promised. They, on the other hand, were never able to sustain faithfulness. Let's be different Let's live fruitful lives where we are. Let's focus on that. Let's be a spiritual blessing where we are. Let's focus on that. Let's not entertain false hopes about where we are. Instead, let's seek God where we are. One more commercial before we go. I'm going to 
open up a Zoom prayer call sometime in the next two weeks. We'll pray for our church. We'll pray for our country and we'll seek God. I'll send you an email with details about it this week. So please join me on that call if you have time. And uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the plans that you have for us. And this morning, we surrender to those plans. In our den or on our deck or wherever we're watching this, we choose today to surrender to the plans that you have for us. And Lord, we want to be uh, preeminently right here, right now. We want to we want to live our best life right here, right now. Uh, Father, we want to be a blessing right here, right now. And we don't want to entertain what ifs. We don't want to entertain only ifs. We don't want to entertain false hopes and false expectations about where we are. Instead, we want to lean into you, trust you, seek you. So hear us, Lord, as... Uh, you know, that's our heart, seeking you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.